0: Warning, Family Ties Positive Vibes may or may not contain any positive vibes. However, it is sure to contain three members of the family trying their best. Welcome to Family Ties Positive
1: Vibes, a podcast
0: about our lives and the nonsense behind all of it. My name is Michael Summers. My name is John Summers.
1: And my name is Lady Linnell Summers.
0: Today is September 2nd on our end. We probably won't have this edited for a couple weeks, so. And probably not released for a few more. So there, now you know. So it's will You'll you'll know when it goes up. It'll have the date on there. It's probably Halloween by the time this is going up. Michael, what's your costume going to be? It shouldn't be that long, but uh, you know what? I had a costume in mind. I was looking stuff up already because you have to buy your costumes like a month in advance. Otherwise, they'll be all sold out. Yes. I was thinking I would just do the generic like skeleton morphs, morph bodysuit thing Mm -hmm. um, because that's easy. But also, I don't know. I might just get like another nice top hat and just pretend I'm a nice fancy man. You could be the uh, gentleman skeleton if you'd like. Maybe. Okay.
1: I was thinking Audrey Hepburn. I really loved the look where she wears the big wide-brimmed hat mm-hmm. uh, with the scarf wrapped around it and the sunglasses. I think I could pull that look off.
0: I think you could, too. It's a very iconic look, isn't it? Yeah.
1: It is. Although if I'm going to wear it to a, a costume party at night, the sunglasses might be a little much.
0: <laughs> well, let's just hope they have good lighting and, uh, wherever you are.
2: I think that I might go as, uh, Uncle Ian from the Alvin and Chipmunks live action movie. Who's... He's the antagonist. Okay. He's the record label manager that the Chipmunks sign on to, who kind of separates them from their father figure, Dave
0: Seville. I vaguely remember this, uh, in the sense that I don't remember much about the Chipmunks, nor do I want to. All right. So my week in review, uh, I found out I finally have to upgrade my computer, Uh, It's been about six years since I built my computer, and it's been sort of tweaked once in that period of time where I switched out the graphics card and added a little more RAM. And uh, it turns out I shouldn't be running Windows 7 anymore for what I do on my computer, which is nothing good. I program stuff, and I can't program anymore.
2: Uh, Windows 7 is kind of an old operating software
0: at this point. It came out a while ago, and by that I think I mean a decade ago.
1: But for most things we do, I think it's a fine operating system. There are like two things we do now, I think that won't work.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm in a very niche case where I need, to, if it wasn't for school, I yeah. wouldn't be upgrading my computer.
1: And school, you mean taking a computer science degree?
0: Yes, uh, specifically programming, and programming in environments that are more modern than my computer can handle.
2: Have you considered running Linux?
0: I have. I consider about um, twice a week. But then I realized that I'd have to relearn everything I know about computers. And also, no, that's basically it. I'd have to relearn everything I know about computers. And then I'd be uh, working in a computer environment that no one else at any job I'm ever going to have, no one else is going to be using it, which could be a good thing for me. Who knows? But... In the end, I already know Windows 11 is going to be coming out in December, and it'll be a free upgrade for anyone who already has Windows 10, but you probably should hold off on getting it until it's been tried and tested by our tech enthusiasts, who will then find all the stuff that's broken in it, and then it'll get fixed, and by March, maybe it'll be usable for everyone else.
2: And this has been the Windows Tech Corner with Michael.
0: Yeah, so we'll probably bring this back up around December when I have more stuff to talk about Windows 11 with. John, how's your week been?
2: Oh, my week has been all right. Mostly been focusing on work and such. Uh, been spending more time with my girlfriend now that we have good excuses to see each other.
0: As opposed to all the bad ones. Yes,
2: of course. It's more along the lines of uh, she needs rides to and from classes, and I live on the side of town that's close to her, so I can go pick her up from the local college and bring her on back.
0: Yeah, well, that works pretty well, it sounds like.
2: Better than the get bus, at least. Saves a little bit of time and slightly better company.
0: Yeah, and any reason to avoid the bus, at least here in this town, is pretty nice. Mom, how's your week been?
1: My week has been pretty good. Actually, a little bit dull because I'm going to go with the work thing, too. I, I've gotten sucked into a little work project, and it involves Oman, the country, um, and deep dive into you know pulling information together that I'm kind of making it up, actually. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's fine. It'll it'll be fine. Nobody really reads it anyway, but it, it just needs to support whatever else is going out there. I'm only in charge of the numbers. Other people are in charge of you know the real stuff. But it has involved a few really late nights and not quite tears, but maybe a few bad thoughts and
2: some frustrations, perhaps.
1: Um, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Uh, But I think light at the end of the tunnel, I I think I'm about done. Uh, My Oman contact did not get back to me today, and now he's on the weekend, so...
2: I'll have to wait for Monday.
1: Well, no, it has to be done by Monday, so he won't get a weekend. So hopefully he's okay with that. Oh, no. Anyways, by next week when we record, or two weeks when we record the next podcast, I'll have a lot of great things going on. I promise.
2: You'll have more time for anything else.
1: Yes, I will.
2: I'm glad to hear it
0: all right and that brings us to our next segment show and tell
2: show and tell show and tell we can't really show but we can tell mom what are you bringing to show and tell this week
1: This week, the most fantastic weekend viewing on the TV, and by the TV, I mean an app that I could broadcast (laughs) onto the TV, was uh, the Professional Triathletes Organization, lovingly known as the PTO, has been trying to organize for several years. And they finally found a rich benefactor who has more money than he needs, apparently, um, has given them the money. uh, So all the professional triathletes are organizing. They've got, like, job descriptions. Mm -hmm. The women are getting maternity leave. If they get pregnant, they're going to get some time off to have those babies. But these triathletes don't stop training at any stage, although up in the last, I think in the ninth month, they don't train quite as hard, but they get back at it really quickly. I'm really surprised.
0: It's a lifestyle, apparently.
1: It really is. And they're super fit. So I think they do get back to it faster than somebody who's not used to that. But there are a lot of good things that come through the organization. But one of their goals is to create a little more interest in the sport. Uh So they're like brainstorming. How is it you get more people aware of the sport? Because if people know about it, they're more likely to become interested in it. They've had a couple of good races that they've done, like on the Daytona Speedway. Last winter, they did one. It was fantastic because they could get a lot of cameras. Everybody was in um, an enclosed space where you could see more people more of the time. Mm-hmm. Because when you watch a normal Ironman race, they do a 2.4-mile swim. It's really not entertaining to watch people swim. I, You can't see their faces, really. You can't see much of anything. So the swim doesn't photograph well, but then they get out and they hop on their bikes and they ride. But like in Hawaii, it's an out and back course. So 112 miles, they're riding out 56 miles and then they turn around and come back. It's really hard to photograph that well. So they do have motorcycles that try to stay with like the top three women, top three men. Mm Mm-hmm. Other than that, you don't see coverage of anybody else in the race. And there's more than six people doing this race. And then on the run, it's kind of the same thing. It's a marathon. And usually on the marathon, they get like three loops. A lot of Ironman courses are looped, which makes it a little bit better, but still not really fascinating. If you're standing there as a spectator, you only see your athlete two times. So they struggle a little bit with getting people interested. Well, they started a, I forgot what they named it, but they um, divided the country up into three teams. We've got Team USA, Team Europe, and Team International, which is a lot of Australians and Canadians, and I think maybe some Belgians and Swedish people.
0: Do the group sizes end up being about the same?
1: Yeah, they each have six teams, six men, six teams of men, six teams of women, and so they pick one person from each team to race against each other. And so every 10 minutes, they have a new race starting. Mm-hmm. And they did have a lot of media. So they're covering like every single person in every single race. So there's a, I don't know how many cameras and motorcycles that takes. You couldn't really see uh, from the app. but
0: My guess is it's still a big production. It's
1: got to be And you got to have extras as well. Right. Yeah other cameras for like the transition areas. They did have some really cool cameras um, where people were exiting the water and running into the bike transition. Mm -hmm. They got some nice slow-mo footage there of people running through, it was really cool. Um, But anyways, you know, so you could watch from start to finish. It was like a half iron distance, so they swam about a mile, and then they hopped on their bikes and ran about 50 something miles. And then they ran, I think they said 18K. So it was fascinating because you had like 12 races going on that you could watch. It took seven hours and it was captivating.
0: I mean, that sounds pretty incredible, honestly.
1: I think it was. I had a great Saturday watching the whole thing. So (laughs) from my perspective, success.
0: Excellent. John, what do you have for show and tell this week?
2: For show and tell this week, I'm going to be bringing uh, Star Trek Deep Space
0: Nine to the table. Oh, that's a little out of your normal uh, watch list.
2: It was a show that was uh, introduced to me by my girlfriend and her family. I tend to avoid classic sci-fi because while they were progressive for their time normally, they haven't aged super well. But uh, Deep Space Nine, I found, hasn't had so many of the same problems. You can see that there is an underlying racist tones, perhaps, but they're doing their best to avoid it. It's just kind of what they know for what they were writing at the time. And uh, honestly, all the characters are very interesting. All the situations they get to are fascinating. It takes place at a space station uh, set up just outside of a stable wormhole that has just appeared in deep space. So they're getting a lot of new traffic from alien races from the opposite side of the galaxy, effectively. So they are dealing with their own new experiences and experiencing other cultures for the first time, making first contact with a lot of different species and trying to solve everyone's problems, I suppose, as they come aboard this space station, which is supposed to have a place for everyone. Mm
0: -hmm. I'll admit, I mostly am only... I have passing knowledge on Star Trek. I watched some of the original series because dad loved to bring it up every once in a while. And I've watched the the remake movies? Yes, as have I. Which are still fun, but apparently very different from the tone of Ye- the uh, original Star Trek series. Is. Yes,
2: the original Star Trek series was more so about exploration and uh, helping people solving problems. It did its best to be progressive for the time. Now it's taken more of an action stance. It's more interested in like entertaining the layman, I suppose, mm-hmm. rather than trying to bring
0: new ideas to the table. So you prefer these older kind of... The older Star Trek?
2: It was hard for me to get into the original series and the next generation just because of whatever reasons that I can't remember right now, but. They're dated. They are dated. But it was hard for me to get into the original series and the next generation for some reason or another, but for some, for somehow, uh, Deep Space Nine has just captivated me. Well, excellent. So, Michael, what are you bringing to the
0: table? I recently rewatched this movie with Ashley because she's never seen it before. Ah, the Lorax. Um, no. And I'm. <laughs> I still haven't watched the Lorax, and I'm never going to uh, because Tumblr has ruined it for me. Anyways, so I just recently rewatched uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, oh. which is an interesting movie, um, and I do really enjoy it. It's, And I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with it, and probably anyone who's listening to the podcast is familiar with it. It's just interesting to me because it's a coming-of-age story, yeah. mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other coming-of-age stories... At the time, in the 80s, which largely focused, if it was a male gaze, it was probably focused on getting laid, making out with a girl, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This movie kind of doesn't have any of that. They're a bunch of goofy kids having what a lot of actual high schoolers would imagine as the perfect day skipping school. We go to a fancy restaurant. We go to a parade. We go to a baseball game. You know? its It's a very... Natural way of looking at what these high schoolers would want to do taking a skip day from school. It's kind of similar to uh, Breakfast Club in that regard. Yeah, where it seems realistic to me, and I do really appreciate that aspect
2: Certainly more palatable than Animal House
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not really a big fan of National Lampoon in general, but Animal House Mm -hmm. is probably my least favorite.
1: Right. So back to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. How do you feel that that movie has aged? Is it still funny in 2021? It's,
0: yeah, honestly, I still really enjoyed it. I still thought it was funny. In a more progressive era now, maybe some of its jokes fall a little flat. Ferris, uh, because he's a high schooler still, he doesn't see himself as being wrong or infallible, which leads to him having some rude situations, especially early on in the movie. He would seem, and I would just personally describe him if I had to interact with him this way, kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But again, high schooler. So realistic. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it detracts from the rest of the movie, honestly.
2: Honestly, I found that most of the jokes that didn't age well came from the antagonist, the principal of the school, I think. The dean, yeah. The dean, sorry, because he was hunting down a high schooler and he got himself into a few situations that were not cool.
0: Yeah, and uh, was later actually put on trial for similar <laughs> charges in real life. All right, then. Possession of child pornography, I think, is what it was.
1: The actor who played the Yeah, the
0: actor who played the dean. Who played oh Andy Rooney.
1: Well, that's sad.
0: Yeah, so, unfortunate. Um, Anyway. Maybe that puts that scene in a whole different light for you. Anyway. (laughs) But I enjoyed it, and Ashley enjoyed it, and we had, it It was a fun movie night.
1: Well, one of the other memorable characters in that movie was Ben Stein, who played the teacher. Yeah,
0: and Mm. he went on to play only that role for the rest of his life. Yes. That's
1: correct, because it worked for him.
0: He wasn't originally an actor though. He was, what was it, a speech writer?
1: He was really smart from my (laughs) recollection. Uh, So he, he was really good at game shows. I think he has a vast wealth of knowledge.
2: Or at least that's the persona that he puts out into the world.
0: Yeah, I wanted to make sure I got this right because it was important to me when I looked it up earlier he wrote speeches for Richard Nixon. He was his speechwriter. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. And he used to have a game show that was called Win Ben Stein's Money. So mm-hmm. he would he would go up one-on-one against people about trivia, and I think he usually kept his money.
2: Oh, it wouldn't be a very interesting show otherwise.
0: I mean, he's got the perfect professor yeah. down. He does. He's a very interesting person, and he, again, I kind of mentioned this. He plays the exact same role as he did in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as he does in The Mask. Yes, yeah. with Jim Carrey as the. Well, was uh, he in
1: that movie too? Yeah, the, the exact
0: same character. He's the he works at the museum. Yes.
1: Okay, now see, I can't do a Jim Carrey movie. That kind of comedy just does not do it for me. So I would have never known that.
2: That's fair. He also appears very briefly at the beginning of The Mask Two, where he's showing off the mask of loki which is what the mask is
1: Yeah,
0: son of the mask which is a much less impressive movie and no one needs to watch that one
2: you are not impressed by jim carrey i'm not impressed by jamie kennedy
1: i don't think i'm familiar with jamie kennedy
2: consider yourself lucky
1: okay (laughs) today's my lucky day how about that
0: And now it's time for our next topic of the evening, Artist of the Week. Listen with me, who's it gonna be? It's the Artist of the... Artist of the Week. John, uh, you brought this topic up for all of us to kind of research a little bit, and we've been listening to them a lot uh, while eating dinner recently. Well, not recently, but... You put them on as background music a lot. Would you like to introduce our group this week?
2: Yes, this week we have chosen the Beach Boys. Now, I will not say that I'm a Beach Boys expert. Uh, in fact, they only recently re-entered my life because of, uh, it was summer vacation. I was looking for musics to put on a, a road trip playlist, and I just happened to find a Wouldn't It Be Nice and Kokomo and a few others. And you know what? They worked for me, and I've just been keeping them in the background ever since.
1: Everybody loves to have that one hit for the summer, the one that everybody's playing in their cars as they're on vacation. And I think the Beach Boys wrote a lot of that style of music. They've got a lot of summertime hits.
0: Absolutely. I mean, they did invent what was kind of referred to as the California sound, which embodies what we think of as beach music.
1: Yeah, it was California slash surfer slash... Maybe it was mostly California and surfer.
0: Yeah, but when you think of the Beach Boys, you you know what sound you're thinking of. Yes, um, it's got that very Surfing USA vibe.
1: It does. It does. In the beginning, they definitely had a formula for their hits that was working for them. Their first several albums, I think, had that all had kind of a similar sound, but people loved it and they were hits, and so they kept writing them.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say your favorite uh, Beach Boys song is? Mom.
1: What if we back up just a little bit and introduce the members of the band?
0: I was surprised to
2: learn, actually, that uh, most of the members of the Beach Boys were family. I think there were three brothers, one cousin, and then one family friend. That joined later on.
1: That's right. I have to admit, the only one that I knew for sure was Brian Wilson. I think everybody knows Brian Wilson's name in one capacity or the other because he, he was pretty much the genius behind their music. He did a lot of the songwriting.
2: The de facto leader, as he's been called, yes. He was uh, the composer, arranger, producer of a lot of their works.
1: He also played the bass for mm-hmm. the band. Brother Dennis was actually the only avid surfer in the group. And who came up with the fact that nobody had actually surfed before they were be- they uh, became the Beach Boys?
2: That was a piece of trivia that I picked up on, uh, that they had, none of them had ever surfed until after they were already the Beach Boys.
1: Yeah, it turns out they didn't
0: even pick the name, the Beach Boys, for their group. They were originally, let's see, what were they called? They were the Pendletones, I believe. Yeah, um, their promoter at Era Records, their record label, changed their name without telling them. He wanted to change them to a more surfer vibe. Apparently, there was already a group called the Surfers, so he went with the next best thing, the Beach Boys. <laughs> of course, which group do we remember now?
1: The Beach Boys. Of yeah, course. So. For sure. It's a great name for a band, I think.
2: I think that the mark of a good band name is in its simplicity. If it's too complicated, people aren't going to remember it. If it's too unique, it'll slip from their minds. But if you have something like the Beach Boys, Queen, Green Day, those stick in yeah. your mind a bit easier than others. Well,
1: I think back in the 50s and 60s, most of the bands or groups had, their names all started with the word the.
2: Of course. They,
1: and then there was usually one more word. So it kind of sets the Beach Boys apart. To have alliteration, because you have two B words,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they, they do kind of just flow together. The Beach Boys.
2: It also helps that their
0: name really fit their vibe extraordinarily well.
1: It did.
2: You got any good Beach Boy trivia for us?
0: Not a whole lot. Um, most of what I know is kind of revolving around their album, Pet Sounds, uh, which their 11th album, uh, a little further into their career. And it was a hugely experimental album, kind of the first of its kind.
2: And I believe it was the Rolling Stone magazine that listed that album as one of, if not the most, influential rock and roll albums of all time.
0: It kind of created what we know as the wall of sound. This is an album that can't be played on stage. It can't be played live because of all the different sounds it has. Um, It wasn't just instruments. uh, It was all kinds of noises that they just found and put in the studio. And more importantly, it kind of created i shouldn't say it created but it innovated with rock and roll Uh, i don't know the term for it but uh in in an orchestra you have multiple instruments all playing the same notes the same melody a big band yeah um and they did that in the same way for uh pet sounds where they would record multiple of this multiples of the same instrument uh layered over each other to get that wall of sound it innovated a lot of techniques that are used in music studios today for recording.
1: One of the songs that came off of that album is the song God Only Knows. God only knows what I'd be
0: without you.
1: Which always, it takes me to a, uh, a picture. I can picture it in my head. that That airport scene in the movie Love Actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're playing this song in that movie. God only knows what I'd be without you. Mm -hmm. It's a very sweet lyric.
0: An absolutely beautiful uh, vocal performance on it.
2: Would you say that that's your favorite Beach Boys song, Ma?
1: I don't know if I have a favorite Beach Boys song, but this is one that is definitely up there. It probably rivals, you know, maybe the top five. I see. All right. I just think it's interesting how this uh, album initially flopped because it was the first one where they varied away from their cookie cutter style of of singing. So Mm -hmm. they had their hits. They had a formula and it was working for them. And then when they changed it up, the album flopped. Then over time...
0: Within a year.
1: Which I think really is no time at all. One year. But I think if we back it up... These guys were in high school. They were teenagers when they started this in 1961, and this band, the first one where they deviated from their formula, was only 1966. So they were only five years into being a band when they did this.
2: But then again, they are fairly young at that point, so it probably feels like a whole lot of time for them, especially if they're depending on the paychecks from the music label.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Another thing that I think was uh, different about the Beach Boys, they started out with their dad being their manager. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe kind of set them up for a little bit of success because they had somebody with a little bit of experience. As I understand it, their dad was also, or he dabbled in songwriting. I don't know that he did that professionally, but he had some musical background. He probably had some ins with the recording industry. I think he, he got them set on a path, it sounded like. So it kind of sounds like he got them started correctly, whereas I know we've talked about a lot of artists, although I don't think that we talked about their flops or how they made mistakes or so many artists because what they want to do is the thing that they love. They get into doing that thing and then people behind the scenes that have the you know signing authority on the bank account mm-hmm. take all their money and it's it's really a sad story most of these artists are geniuses with music and they don't have the people behind them that are protecting them and keeping them safe and making sure that they retain retain the rights to their intellectual property
2: ah that's the business isn't it
0: well especially back when uh and i i shouldn't say this like artists are definitely treated a lot better now a lot of musicians do still get screwed over they do but it i think it was a lot more common back then and the ones who do get lucky and hit it big at least then they get the backing power to uh regain some of their rights to their music
1: they Mm. do yeah uh another thing that is a little bit unusual i think brian wilson was fairly young he was like 21 when they were starting out or in the early years um, and they realized that they were getting a little bit, well, they, they did, weren't getting the fair deal that they thought they should be getting with these record contracts because the record labels really hold all the power. Yeah. So Brian could call the shots on in some of the situations. And then they decided to create their own record label, which I think is a lot of... Um,
2: that takes a lot of effort.
1: It does. A little forethought, you know, knowing why don't we keep this little piece of the pie because we can manage and operate this. Uh, We don't have to pay somebody else. So um, I think they they had some, they started off well. I don't know that they maintained that over the course of their career, but at least they had a good foundation.
2: Very interesting. Uh, Michael, do you happen to have a favorite Beach Boys song?
0: Most of the time when I think of Beach Boys, I think the first song I usually think of is Good Vibrations. I'm picking up
1: Good and i think that is the one that i saw was the biggest hit that they ever had i believe so yes
0: the entire album pet sounds was very strange with a lot of strange instruments and good vibrations just it's strange sounding in that it's very different from a lot of their other music, but it's still the one I think of first. And also, everyone loves a good theremin.
2: I believe that that song is heavily attributed to the fact it popularized the theremin, even though it's not a real theremin that they use, they use an an electro theremin.
1: Okay, you might have to describe what a theremin is because I'm not sure if everyone will know.
2: Well, that's the problem because I don't have a good idea of what a theremin is
0: either. A theremin is the first true fully electronic instrument that can be played with just your hands hovering over the instrument. And you can actually buy them and they're really cool and really complicated and there are like six people on earth that like actually know how to play them properly and really well.
1: Beach Boys used one?
0: They had the theremin sound in their album how well they did it. I mean, I'm not a theremin expert, but I like the sound of what they did.
1: So which song is it that has that sound? Could you name a song that uses that?
0: Good Vibrations. That's it. That weird little, the tone they have for their melody in that
1: one. You're going to have to help pick the clips on this one. (laughs) Fair enough.
2: I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations.
1: I'm backing up. Okay, so Brian wanted to follow the monumental hit, Good Vibrations, with an even more ambitious Teenage Symphony to God. Do either of you know about his Teenage Symphony to God?
0: I am not at all familiar. I'm certainly not, no. Because
1: this sounds very interesting to me. I'd like to know more about this.
0: Is this something I should look up right now?
1: Yeah, I think you should.
2: Tell us about the Teenage Symphony.
1: Well, apparently he had a studio meltdown and so he abandoned the project, but it does sound ambitious. And quite, to me, I would like to know what it would be. I'd like to hear a little teaser.
2: Is that all we know?
1: That's all I know.
0: That's all
2: I know. Michael, do you know?
0: Just looking up from my uh, Google search here, I'm getting a lot of things. And the big thing, of course, is the album Smile. Right, I think uh, the symphony part, at least, kind of still attributes to that wall of sound I was talking about earlier, where this is their, I don't know if uh, I would use the term adolescent or
2: juvenile.
0: Juvenile, I think, might be a good uh, work for this, uh, because this was going to be, in their eyes, their magnum opus. It's a good album. It just Mm -hmm. flopped.
1: So moving forward, in June of 1968, Beach Boy Dennis befriended the young Charles Manson who fancied himself singer-songwriter. I don't know exactly how Dennis became friends. I recall watching a documentary about Charles Manson, and they did reference a friendship he had with a Beach Boy. So apparently about that time, Dennis brought Charles Manson home because he purchased some studio time. Charles fancied himself a singer-songwriter and thought he could record something, and so. Dennis, being the nice guy, purchased some studio time in Brian's studio and brought him in to record. And Brian wouldn't have anything to do with him. So I don't know. Brian must have some good gut instincts.
2: So (laughs) this is the Charles Manson that I'm thinking of, right? Yes, it is. Of the murders?
1: Yes, it is. Yes, he is. So the Beach Boys recorded one song by Charles Manson without his involvement. It was called Cease to Exist and rewritten as Never Learn Not to Love.
2: Never, don't ever stop not believing. Okay.
0: (laughs) Could you imagine the world we would live in if Charles Manson got his big music career off the ground?
1: Well, maybe if he'd gone into music, he wouldn't have to do the other.
2: I think the number of murders in the world would have been different. I don't know about higher or lower, but it definitely would have been different.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, actually, I don't know if he would have been different because uh, apparently Dennis and the whole Wilson family uh, reportedly lived in fear for their lives. Okay. So I guess they they must have had some gut instinct that something was going on there. You don't
2: really live in fear for your lives if everything's fine, if he's giving off good vibes.
1: Right, (laughs) right. So something wasn't quite right there. So anyways, the Beach Boys now, there's only one of them that actually tours or do none of them tours. The Beach Boys that tour, are they a totally different group?
0: They had a few members that have been replaced, I believe. But uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with their current lineup. I could probably look it up real quick.
1: I believe Mike Love now owns the rights to the Beach Boys' name.
0: The
2: current members of the Beach Boys are Brian Wilson, Mike Love, Al Jardine, and Bruce Johnson.
1: Because those are the ones who are still alive.
0: Yes. So to wrap up this segment, John, what's your favorite Beach Boy song? I think I'll have to go with Kokomo. Why don't we go?
1: a good fun song. Mom, what about you? There are a lot of good songs. California Girls. Wouldn't it be nice?
2: another one of my favorites is the uh, I Get Around.
0: That is a classic.
1: Yes. And, and how about Little Deuce Coop? <laughs>
0: one also is kind of a classic or at least i think it is yeah so thank you beach boys for giving us a lot of good music i'll
2: continue to listen to them for probably the rest of my life
0: and even if it didn't always work out as quickly as you'd hoped we do like your albums
2: on to our next topic
0: and now for our main topic of this i mean i was going to say night but you know it might not necessarily be night when people are listening
2: morning afternoon evening or night
0: for our main topic of the day riddles we like riddles we like solving riddles we like hearing riddles john you wanted this week's session to be about riddles
2: I threw that topic into the hat, not expecting it to be chosen, and here we are. I like logic puzzles, I like thinking, I like testing my brain with whatever I can, and riddles are a great way of doing that. I do have somewhat of a pet peeve, is that most riddles, I feel like recently that are posed as riddles, are actually just obscure trivia, where if you have no way of knowing, then you have no way of knowing it.
0: You've introduced me to the TED Ed riddle series, where like it seems like once a month or however often they do it, they post that kind of riddle, which is to say a really obscure brain teaser where you need to know the right mathematical formula or whatever to solve it.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what they're going for. It's not exactly mathematics, but unless you know this exact line of reasoning, you're not going to get there.
0: Which is to say that most of them are still fun, and they're very uh, they're obscure logic or ways of thinking yeah. through logic. That does mean if you know the logic behind them, you can solve them. And I do think that makes it a really good way to just learn how to think differently.
2: I think that's their main focus. They're not interested in like throwing a low ball that anyone could hit. They're interested in showing you different ways that you can think.
1: So did someone bring an example to the table?
2: I will bring to the table the oldest surviving riddle from ancient Sumer. About 4,000 years ago, people were testing each other's critical thinking skills with riddles and logic puzzles. And here is one from the oldest surviving written language. There is a house. One enters it blind and comes out seeing. What is it? And feel free to pause if you want to figure it out for yourself. Do either of you have a possible answer for there is a house. One enters it blind and comes out seeing.
0: I want to say I know this riddle just because I've heard it before. But I don't know right now. I got, I've got nothing.
2: Mom, do you happen to have an answer?
1: Is this like walking through a dark room and entering into the light on the other side?
2: No, actually, uh, oh. in this case, the answer is a school. Uh, one enters it blind and unknowledgeable, uh, but they come out seeing, seeing the truth. Uh, the ancient Sumerians were actually very focused on education.
1: Okay, so this would be a different definition of blind, mm-hmm. other than I can't see.
0: And that's exactly what
1: that's exactly what riddles are about. Yes, lateral thinking.
0: Kinda. Yeah. Honestly, it's a good example of a riddle, I think, where you have to think in a completely different way. But I got to agree with the answer in the end.
1: I think that's... Well, I don't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a few other ones that you might get as well. Give us another one. Uh, This one actually comes from the Bible, Samson's riddle. Uh, You won't like this one, Mom, because the entire point of this riddle is that only Samson could know the answer. Uh, It was, out of the eater, something to eat out of the strong, something sweet. This was uh, posed by Samson to his dinner guests. And if anyone could solve the riddle, he would give them 30 uh, very expensive outfits, effectively. But if they guessed wrong, then he would get their outfits.
1: I remember hearing this in a Bible story when I was a child. Does it have something to do with honey?
2: It does, actually. Michael, do you happen to... You
0: got nothing, on? I got nothing. I've heard the <laughs> riddle before, but no, these are all a little beyond me.
2: Samson posed this riddle, and it was something only he could know because earlier that day, he had killed a bear, a predator, and left it for a while and came back to finding bees building a honeycomb inside the carcass. So uh, out of the eater, which is the bear, and out of the strong, again, the bear, something to eat and something sweet, which was the honeycomb. And his dinner guests did not love that.
1: And nobody got it.
2: No, because it was... The reason he posed it was because
1: only he could know the answer.
0: And luckily, because it's Samson, no one could beat him in a fight at that time. So (laughs) so it worked out in his favor.
1: I don't remember the rest of the story. Did they all have to give up their clothes?
2: Oh, I don't know the rest of the story either. I just happen to have the riddle and a little bit of trivia around it. Okay, I'm sure one of our listeners could email us and give us something to read and we can bring it to our next
1: Yeah, record a voice memo and email it to us That's what I (laughs)
2: wanted to say and we might just feature it on our next podcast
0: Honestly, yeah anyone who sends in anything for us to play on the podcast. I'll put it in. I would love to do that We really want some uh, audience interaction So mom, when you think of riddles, you probably think of some simpler ones.
1: Why would you say that? Well, just because
0: that's what I think of when I think of riddles. I play Dungeons and Dragons, whatever you may think of that game. And I run sessions for my players who they play characters and whatever. And every once in a while, I throw in some riddles as puzzles for them to solve so they can continue on with the game and get further in whatever dungeon they're exploring. And I always have to pick the simplest riddles as I can. They have to be for toddlers (laughs) because otherwise they won't be solved. Michael, are you you insulting your friends there? You know what? I just realized I'm going to get in a lot of trouble when this podcast airs because my girlfriend is one of my players for Dungeons and Dragons, and she was the one who couldn't solve these riddles at the time because she was stressed out. It's fine.
1: Yeah, I'm not Mm -hmm. blaming
0: anyone. In fact, I'm blaming myself for giving the riddles poorly anyways. So riddles along the lines of what has to be broken before you can use it.
2: Silence or are you talking about like in an emergency break this glass fire extinguisher sort of thing?
0: I mean technically there's that as well. (laughs) No, the answer in this case is an egg. Okay. Yeah Because well,
1: are you using it or eating it? No that that works. Mm, Well,
0: yeah So, you know stuff where
1: I like the fire extinguisher glass
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I do too. I technically like that a lot more than the egg because I mean an egg could be hard-boiled I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose
2: of the riddle, though, because the point of riddle is not that there's a straightforward answer, but that you have to think about what other meanings, what other meanings it could have.
1: Well, you have to break your fast every morning when you eat.
2: Yes. That's kind of why I went with silence, because for it to be useful, you have to break it. Yeah. In some scenarios.
1: Unless you are uh, putting all your signs on signboards and just, you know, letting people read them before you drop them on the ground.
0: I
2: think we're getting a bit semantic.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) So how about this one? I think is actually solvable and mostly I'd agree with the correct answer being the correct answer. What has a head and a tail but no body?
1: And you said that would be the correct answer?
0: There is a correct answer.
2: What has a head and a tail but no body? Let's see, I'm afraid I'm stumped.
1: Um, Oh, oh, no, I was going to say the car because it has a headlight and a tail light. Oh. But it does have a body. And Yeah. What has a head and a tail but no body?
2: Michael, would you please tell us the answer?
0: The answer in this case is a coin. Oh, I hadn't, yeah, okay. Oh,
1: that's, that's a good one.
0: I think everyone can agree, a riddle's good when you're like,
1: oh, of course.
0: I just. Meanwhile, have... that egg one, that one sucked.
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that.
0: What it... month of the year has 28 days? February. Yes, all of them, yes.
1: Oh, that's right, yes, <laughs> I've heard that before.
0: That's the riddle that would get me punched in the face, you see? <laughs>
2: Let's see, Mom, did you happen to bring any to the table?
1: I did. I have one. I never was, but always will be. No one ever saw me, but everyone knows I exist. I give people motivation to better themselves every day. What am I? Is it God? No.
2: Okay. I'm going to be honest. I started paying attention halfway through. I'm very sorry.
0: (laughs) Hmm. I don't know. Is it something like the
2: future? Sort of. Could you please repeat the riddle for us?
1: I never was, but always will be. No one ever saw me, but everyone knows I exist. I give people motivation to better themselves every day. What am I?
0: I want to go with memories.
1: The opposite.
0: Opposite is, it's still, okay. Oh, prediction. I have no idea.
1: Tomorrow.
0: Tomorrow.
1: Okay. Because, yeah, the future, the future you,
0: works.
2: you said yeah. the future. Yeah, okay. So. Okay, that's, that's neat, yeah. Okay. I think I, I have a few more. Uh, I would be remiss to not bring up the riddle of the Sphinx. Okay. Which ah. I'm sure we all know, but uh, from Sophocles, the Sphinx's riddle, what goes on four legs in the morning, two at noon, and three in the evening? And the answer is Man. We start by crawling around on all fours. Uh, In our adult life, we walk on two legs, and then in old age, we walk with a cane.
1: Okay. The morning of our life, the midday of our life, and the twilight of our life. Exactly. Okay.
0: I think if we have to bring up riddles, and this is one that I've tried to solve before, and I cannot, but it's important to me because this is on the University of Delaware's Uh, website, which is they have a whole page devoted to just this riddle. Einstein's riddle. Okay. Which is famous just because it's obtusely difficult to solve. And mostly you need to make a chart to solve this. And I'm not expecting anyone at the table here to solve it today.
2: I would also say that it's not formatted in a way that most people think of riddles like, I am this, but I am this. What am I? Mm -hmm. Instead, it's more like he gives 15 clues and uh, you see if you can find the right answer.
0: It's a logic puzzle rather than a riddle. But yes. everyone, everyone that I've talked to that has brought it up has called it Einstein's riddle. So I feel it's important to note. Um, in the situation, there are five houses in five different colors. In each house lives a person with a different nationality. These five owners drink a different type of beverage, smoke a different kind of cigar, and keep a different pet. No owners have the same pet, smoke the same brand of cigar, or drink the same beverage. So, who owns the fish? And then there are like 15 hints beyond that uh, that help you logically deduce who owns the
2: fish. The Red House is not on the far end. Uh,
0: Yeah, the Brit lives in the Red House. The Swede keeps dogs as pets. The Dane drinks tea. And it's obnoxious, and I've tried to solve it because, interestingly enough, this style of riddle was actually taught to me in elementary school, and because I was in the advanced program, this was the kind of stuff that I got to work on when everyone else was struggling to put two and three together.
2: No, I understand. That was the exact same way. Mostly because it was a logic puzzle where you had to make a chart to understand it, but I was always obtuse in the way that I wanted to solve it in my head, so I never could. (laughs)
1: Okay, so when they're giving you the clues, do they say what the five houses are? They say what the five colors are? Do they say what the five nationalities are and the They pets?
2: do through the
0: hints, technically.
2: It's more of a process of elimination. So now that I have this hint, I know this, and so I know this, and so, so I know this.
0: The five national And technically, the nationalities can be different depending on who gives the puzzle. But in this case, it's uh, the Brit, the Swede, the Dane, the Norwegian, and the German. I think it's like the house colors are red, green, yellow, pink, and blue. So it's stuff like that. And I would have to dissect it through all of these hints to find out what all of these are.
1: So we're solving for who owns the fish.
0: Yes.
2: Another popular uh, use of this is that it's a crime that has to be solved. And if you know one person has the fish because there were scales or something left at the crime scene, you would have to solve the crime from there based on the clues that you have.
1: Do you know the answer to this riddle, by the way?
0: Well, I don't know the clues, so no. Should I give all the clues? You know what I should Anyone at home who's listening and wants to solve it uh, they should get the op the opportunity. So in this case, the hints are the Brit lives in the Red House. The Swede keeps dogs as pets. The Dane drinks tea. The greenhouse is on the left of the White House. The greenhouse's owner drinks coffee. The person who smokes Pall Mall rears birds. The owner of the yellow house smokes Dunhill. The man living in the center house drinks milk. The Norwegian lives in the first house, which in this case is the house furthest on the left. The man who smokes blends lives next to the one who keeps cats. The man who keeps horses lives next to the man who smokes Dunhill. The owner who smokes blue master drinks beer. The german smokes prince. The norwegian lives next to the blue house. And the man who smokes blend has a neighbor who drinks water. And again this riddle can be found at uh, udel.edu/tildeos/riddle.html for anyone who wants to look this up and read it or you know you could google it that'd probably be faster. And according to Einstein, 98% of the world cannot solve this riddle.
1: Probably not, because they're probably like me. They're looking for more clues about the fish.
0: Yes, and that's and where most...
1: That's nothing in these clues about fish.
2: Exactly. That's why you have to go through as a process of elimination.
1: But there's a lot of clues about cigarettes.
2: Cigars, yes.
1: Cigars. Nationalities.
2: So it would take... House color. It would take anyone who listened to it a chart and 20 minutes
0: to solve the issue. 20 minutes? At least. Uh, It would take me longer, certainly. But ultimately, it comes down not figuring out who has the fish, but who can't have the fish.
1: Who had the bird?
0: Uh, Let me go ahead and... I think it was the greenhouse uh, rears birds.
2: Was it the greenhouse
0: rears birds? Did
1: anyone have a cat?
0: There was a mention of a cat, yes. The man who smokes blends lives next to the one who keeps cats, and the person who smokes pall mall rears birds.
1: Well, honestly, I'm not sure that birds are relevant, but cats might be.:
0: <laughs> uh, They
2: all own a different pet. So if all well, of them... cats
1: like to eat fish, so possibly the person who has the fish does not have the cat.:
2: No, they all only have one pet.:
1: Cats like to eat birds also.:
2: Yes, but they all only have one pet, so one person has: Oh, boy. oh so
1: we're looking for the person who doesn't have a pet.
2: Were, so well, we
1: we they listed somebody has a cat they they listed somebody has a dog they listed somebody has birds
2: another has
0: horses so another who has horses has the fish
1: so who's oh okay now yes. i think i'm onto something
0: yes and so it becomes a fill in the blanks kind of chart where you figure out who has what and as you connect it to each person you figure out eventually well i know this house has the fish maybe but then who owns that house
1: Okay, and how do we identify who owns the house? Would it be by the nationality, or would we identify the cigar they were smoking?
2: It would have to be by nationality. So in this case, it would be something like the Swede owns the fish, or the Brit.
0: I can mm-hmm. actually talk through the whole deduction here, but it's long oh, if yeah. we'd like to.
2: So it might be best for our audience to do that on their own time if they're interested. And I'm sure we'll do this after the episode.
0: Also, I'm afraid if you did this, you'd get angry at me again, because it's not a riddle. It's not.
2: No, it's just logic.
1: Why would I get angry at logic? (laughs) Do I get angry at logic? No,
0: but I do think you get angry when uh, I pose a problem that you, John gets angry at me when I pose a question to him that he has no way of solving, and I do the same to him. Yes. So So. I would assume we got it from someone.
1: (laughs) Maybe we should dissect the reasoning behind why would it make us angry if there is a question that we can't solve for. Perhaps
0: false hope. We don't like feeling like we're dumb for not being able to solve something. That's certainly part of it.
1: No, but I think it is good for each other to challenge. Yes.
2: I believe that what Michael's talking about is the situation where I pose a question to him that he absolutely could never answer, but I'm treating it like as if he could. So then when I tell him the answer, it's like, well, I could have never gotten that. What? Why do you
0: ask me? And well, again, I've certainly never solved this puzzle on my own. I can look up what the answer is, but figuring out how to get there would take me a few days.
1: A few days or 20 minutes? I think now we've got... It wouldn't got be all,
0: 20 minutes, not for me.
1: We've got the bones to this. I think we could get it in 20 minutes. Okay, people? I'm, Set I, your watches. I feel watches. like
0: maybe we... Uh, I would have to draw a chart again.
2: I feel like uh some competition is flaring up. I think we should do this off the off mic.
0: Yeah, so... Next week, I'm not going to answer this here. I'm not going to answer this this week. We're going to bring up the answer next recording. Okay. um, And and we're all going to show our charts to each other to see how far we got. We'll
2: time ourselves individually to see how long it took for each of us to get it. All right.
0: If we really want, we can do it together around the kitchen table.
2: So may I pose a a riddle that some of us might solve at this table? Yes, please. I beg you. This is the 18th century riddle from England. It was also posed in a Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third Die Hard movie. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives?
0: Wait. The man? Each wife, and there were seven wives—
2: A man had seven wives, seven sacks, seven cats, seven kits. So from kits, cats, sacks, and wives, how many was going to St. Ives?
0: Seven to the fourth power plus one.
2: Hmm. Interesting. And mom?
0: Oh, plus two. Sorry, because the man was also going, the person who posed the riddle. Interesting.
2: And mom, your answer?
1: I thought it was just the man. And mom
2: is correct. I was going to St. Ives, and I met these people at St. Ives.
1: Oh,
0: Okay, yeah, I feel like an asshole.
2: No, that's, that's exactly the point of the riddle, <laughs>
0: to distract you with all this other I, information. I, I assumed they were all going there together. See, like, which so. month
1: has 28 days? Yeah, yeah. Silly, because we all know that all 12 months have 28 days.
2: But we're focused on the one that feels distinct, even right. though it's all of them. Right. And, of course, an, another famous riddle would be from The Hobbit, uh, Gollum, his riddle. This thing, all things devours birds, beast, trees, and flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats mountains down. What am I?
0: A hurricane? I believe the answer is time. Time is oh. the
2: correct answer in this case.
0: Once upon a time, I read The Hobbit. Oh. <laughs> so did I, and that was the point where I stopped. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think I watched one of the movies, and it was long.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Now, I could keep going on. I have a few from uh, our favorite Batman villain, the Riddler. I have some of his best, but...
1: Okay, give us one.
2: Okay. Uh, What has neither nails or bones, but has four fingers and a thumb? A glove. You're right.
0: Wow. Okay. So because that silence was probably all cut out, that was just a look of all three of us staring at each other, like wondering, what the hell?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it takes a while for my brain to eliminate things that
0: It
2: takes effort, um, yeah. Yeah. That's the point of the riddle. If it came easy, it wouldn't be a good riddle.
0: So, anyways, this podcast, it's gone on a while for us. I don't know how long this is going to be in the edited form, but I think it needs to be trimmed down and we should be wrapping it up for the evening. So, Mom, do you have a a, a question to pose for us? A quandary for us to solve?
1: I do. Here is tonight's quandary. <laughs> Should I send a letter to let people know they're not invited?
0: Yes. Are you making enemies or burning bridges? Because if that's the goal, and I personally think that sounds... I think it sounds hilarious. If they're the kind of person who would show up and you don't want them to, but you don't want them to dislike you, you should either send them an invitation for the wrong time or the wrong address and then say, oops, my bad.
1: That's a better idea. Yeah.
0: Um, because otherwise, if you're sending a don't show up, an anti-RSVP, then you're you're just making enemies, which, again, sounds hilarious. And I do think you should do.
2: So I would do this to my friends, where if I was getting married, I'd say, this is the time, date, and place we're getting married. Please do not show up. Please do not bring a gift. And whatever you do, don't tell anyone that you know. And then because I'm only sending these to my friends, they'll ask me, perhaps privately, hey, what the f***? Or they'll decide to drop in anyway. I might okay. put in I might put in small print at the very bottom. By the way, this is a joke, but everything else is true.
0: Personally, I think uh, for our wedding, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna say don't come. I'm gonna do the opposite. I'm going to say absolutely do come. You get one plus one, and then you get a minus one. You can uninvite someone from the wedding. Ooh. <laughs> I would uninvite the groom. <laughs>
2: Or perhaps the minister,
0: the Power move.
1: Okay, interesting solutions. Yeah. But yes,
2: I feel like the un-RSVP, the anti-RSVP, I think that's a good tool. I think we should all utilize that
0: I think everyone should keep it in their back pocket, but depending on what your goal here is, maybe this isn't the situation where you should use it, unless it's a joke, in which case you should absolutely use it.
2: Yes. Of course, this is dependent on whether or not it's for a wedding or some other event. If it's for a funeral, and I send a "don't show up" card, I feel like that'd be a good way to get people angry at me.
1: Well, according to this uh, advice here, that would be a terrible idea to Aww. send somebody a disinvitation. It it is kind of and outside the bounds of normal. Uh,
2: unless you're sending it to someone who doesn't want to show up.
1: Well, but then it's kind—it's of, still kind of a f- you."
0: Excuse me. I know we already said that word tonight but I didn't mean to say it again. (laughs) This has been Family Ties Positive Vibes, a podcast about the lives of a small family in Southern California. Our theme song is Funkarama by Kevin MacLeod. You can listen to more of his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Special thanks for this episode to Tony Hawk for being a cool dude. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after we finish rewatching Love Actually for the 47th time.